Hi everyone, this is Sarah McFarland from Inside Scientific, the online environment for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content that helps you do your best work. Today's episode of Expert Answers features Dr. John Waters, a teaching professor of biology at the Pennsylvania State University. John joined us for the fourth webinar in a four-part series on teaching anatomy and physiology, where he discussed how to help students organize their understanding of biology around larger themes that are common across the life sciences. Let's dive in. John, you mentioned that a one-credit lab is part of this course. Can you tell me how you've used this approach in the labs? Yeah, good question. Um, We haven't used it much yet. Yeah, I was very aware that I did not discuss the laboratory portion of the course today. We're actually just beginning those discussions about how to redesign the laboratory portion to integrate it with the new lecture format when the pandemic hit last year. And then everything went out the window and like everyone here, we all went into survival mode. One thing that grew out of the online laboratories that we developed for this course during the pandemic was that it provided an opportunity for us to develop at least some case studies, if not online resident instruction labs, but case studies that that aligned very nicely with the integrated lecture portion of the course. And now as we're getting ready to transition back into in-person instruction, we've started those conversations again to see where we could use those case studies to build upon a hands-on laboratory experience that integrates with lecture. So that's, that's actually still a work in progress. Okay. We have another question here for you, John. This person has said, it sounded like you said that your administration at Penn State forgives bad course evaluations. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, the forgiveness is not infinite. You can't have bad course evaluations forever. But there is a recognition here, and, and, and one of the reasons that I feel very thankful to work here, is that in order for instruction to improve, and in order for faculty to improve as educators, in order to improve our courses, we have to try new things. We have to take risks. And it's possible here for instructors to let the administration know, hey, I'm trying something new. This is why I'm doing it. This is what I'm doing. And you kind of get a pass on any negative SRTEs or or the course evaluations that we do. Uh, You get a pass that semester anyway, any negative course evaluations that may be the result of you taking this risk. And then the whole idea is that, you know, no one wants to see a course in trouble across time. But the whole idea is that you take those comments and then try to make it a little bit better the next semester and a little bit better the next semester. We had one course that's in that 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 four-course sequence that the course evaluations, after they did a profound change in the structure of the course, the course evaluations took, I think, almost three years to bounce back to their previous levels. And now they're much higher than they ever were. So yeah, you know, sometimes you got to take a risk and kind of tough through the bad stuff. And, you know, that's that's built into the system here. That's awesome. Okay. James has asked, was that all in one semester? And was there time for non-plants and animals? The, most of the changes that I presented here today, we had implemented, yes, in, in one semester. The course is only taught once per year. You know, we had basically a and it's taught in the spring. So we had a summer and a fall 
to do this design. Now that said, you know, you know, it gets tweaked every single semester. And, you know, and I really got to give credit to Dr. Dan for just making constant improvements in the course. But, but yeah, we kind of pulled the trigger and did almost all of that, you know, that change from separate, from separate plant and animal biology to this integrated approach from one spring to the next spring. Whether or not we do non-plants and non-animal, not so much. I mean, this is specifically a function and development of plants and animals course. The prerequisite course includes a large biodiversity component. And that's where students get introduced, you know, even to other plants, to algaes, you know, protists, to prokaryotes and, you know, things like that. This course tends to focus, you know, for plants, tends to focus mostly on land plants, on angiosperms and, and gymnosperms. And, and, and even though we use different animal models, say, to illustrate different reproductive strategies or, or different types of respiratory physiology or whatever we happen to be covering, we have so many pre-meds in the course that there is, you know, there are a good number of references to vertebrate and even human biology as well. That's fantastic. We have another question here, but it's a comment and a question. So thank you. I'm excited to adapt your approach to my own majors course. I assume that this course has been offered online recently due to the pandemic. Do you have students work through online labs on the plant physiology portions? Because he has had a hard time locating any. Yeah, there were some plant. Yeah, the online labs for this semester were, you know, were primarily case studies in plant and, and, and animal biology. You know, whether or not that's in the spirit of a real lab and that lab is so hands-on, no, we're really stretching, you know, the definition of lab. Last spring, when we got hit with the pandemic right during, you know, fell right during our spring break, there we adapted some plant labs, but it was a wreck. We were doing this microRNA lab and how different microRNAs are expressed due to stressful stimuli. And it's a pretty cool lab online. It didn't transfer, or it's, it's a pretty cool lab in person. It didn't transfer to the online format at all. So even though we developed it, we just got rid of it. And, and then, as I said, we used case studies sort of in lieu of lab as our lab this year that aligned with them better. But but the case studies really don't have a very hands-on component. And that's something that we're working on now between this spring and spring of 22. Okay. Someone else has asked, uh, did you create a textbook for the integrated course? We've talked about it. <laughs> we, we've tried a couple things. We've tried using just, just class notes. We've used notes and articles and websites and things like that. We did a custom published version of a traditional general biology book where we selected just the chapters that, you know, that were relevant and none of them have worked out that great. You know, we had looked when we started to see if there's a textbook that takes this approach and we didn't identify one. There might be one now. Since Dr. Dan took over the course, I've been working on some other projects, but, but we have talked about creating a textbook. I think it'd be actually really cool. Again, it just takes time and time, right? 24 hours, 365 days a year. That's what we all have. But I think something like in an open sex format would be amazing or maybe and, and I'm just brainstorming, as my colleague Kevin Petty says, just friends talking, maybe uh, taking some of that material and rather than reinvent the wheel, reformatting it in this, you know, with this approach might be, you know, uh, might be useful. Yeah, for sure. That'd be great. So we have another question here. 
that is what are the prerequisites for this course? As I mentioned, this course is part of a four course sequence. We used to do a biology 101 and 102, but we felt that there were, you know, that there are too many foundational concepts that needed to be covered that we could fit in reasonably into a two semester sequence. So we moved to a four semester sequence. The very first course is a foundation in biology course, which covers, yeah, Darwinian evolution. Well, yeah, yeah, biologic chemistry, just kind of a quick review. Darwinian evolution, a little bit of population genetics, like Hardy Weinberg kind of stuff. Origin of life, Mendelian genetics, and then a big biodiversity component. That is the course, that course serves as a prereq then for the for each of the three other courses. The three other courses can actually be taken in, in any order, but the other three courses in the four course sequence then are an ecology course, a molecular biology course, and then the course that I described today, the function and development of uh, plants and animals. So there's only one prereq for our course, that first one. Okay, great. Sounds like a good group of courses to be in. <laughs> we have another question here that says, can you share some of the lab case studies? Yes. You know, can I share those through you, Sarah? Afterwards, you know, is there Absolutely. a way for you to share yep. them? For sure. Yeah, yep. we'll do that. Um, um, we, I'm writing a post-it. Yeah, note we can I definitely. Speak. I'm in the office. <laughs> we can definitely upload them to the resources section. So for those of you who are interested in looking at those lab case studies, once this webinar is flipped on demand, you will receive an email that gives you login information. You'll log right back into the room almost as it is today, but you'll be able to hit play and listen to John's whole presentation again if you're interested. But you'll also have oh, access to that resources tab where we will upload some of those resources that John um, just described. So you can check that out later today or maybe early tomorrow to access those resources. Yeah, um, it'll probably be a tomorrow another, thing. I don't think I can do yeah. it today yet. Okay, so yeah, be on the lookout tomorrow and I will send that email tomorrow once I have them uploaded. Another question here from Peter, which I will actually answer if that's okay. Uh, loved the figures, where are they from? In John's slides, which will be uploaded along with the resources we just talked about. He's got a ton of reference slides, so you'll be able to click through those once the webinar is on demand. So hopefully that answers your question, Peter. I can add a little um, bit of that if that's okay, Sarah. Yeah, go ahead. Almost all of those were from, from yeah, Wikimedia Commons. So yeah, all of them are, you know, have Creative, Common, Creative Commons licenses or public domain licenses. I'm sure that a lot of you have had the same experience that I have, have had this year in developing online resources and being told by your university that you're not supposed to violate copyright. You know, we developed some experience finding images online that that we could that we could legally use. And and I'm amazed at how generous people, illustrators have been with their with their artistic talents with by sharing these through uh, Creative Commons. So that's where most of them came from. And I have links to each individual one that, as Sarah said, we'll post. Great. So we've got another question here from Karen. Karen has said, in our introductory biology course for majors, it's taught as your original model. And one common student complaint was the difference in exams and teaching style between co-professors. Not necessarily that one is the better or worse, but just different. How do you handle exams and grading? Since Dr. Dan took over the course, that's become a moot point because now there's, there's one instructor 
that does the entire course. I am involved in some other courses. We, for instance, our anatomy and physiology one lecture during the fall, we run we run two different lecture sections of of that. And the faculty involved in those courses meet every week and actually write exams together. It you know it takes it takes a bit more time, you know, to do that level of coordination, but it has been a nice way to address the student's frustration in maybe it's a reality, but maybe sometimes it's just the perception that they have two different courses because there's two different instructors. But the only f- way that we found to do that is through a lot of coordination with the instructors. Awesome. Collaborative efforts for those assessments. Okay, so we have another question here from Anne. Anne has asked, did you often employ assessments which required students to integrate their knowledge of plant and animal functions through applications of some kind, like written explanations? Yes. I didn't really talk about the assessment portion of this, but you have good instincts, Anne. The, you know, the redesigning the assessment part of this course was also a huge effort. And uh, yeah, just, you know, writing, you know, writing questions that capture both that push the students up more toward that application and analysis level of thinking has taken a lot of time too, and really is a continuing effort. But yeah, you know, through, through, mostly through multiple choice questions in our course, because it's so large. You know, like I said, we have 400 students in a single lecture meeting in a single lecture room when we're resident instruction. A lot of it has been just to try to write good, high quality, higher order questions like that. That's another place where the pandemic actually made life a little bit easier because relying on the online testing and the whole academic integrity issue is an entirely separate question, but putting that question to the side, we could write a greater variety of, or we could use a greater variety of question formats through our course management system than you know, we ever could through a paper exam. Great. Alrighty, we've got another question here from Ryan. He's asked, how do you handle different terminology? For instance, turgor pressure versus hydrostatic mm-hmm. pressure. Do you introduce both or try to simplify? We introduce both because this course then is serving as a prerequisite for the 400 level out at our university. Majors courses go from 100 level through 400 level. And this course serves as a prerequisite for foreign level courses where they are going to use that more specific terminology. And so both in a plant physiology course and in a human pathophysiology course, they, you know, you know, we need to cover both so that they can make that transition. Right. Okay, great. Dee has asked or has said, John, Talk to me about how we create interactive, self-directed learning modules, similar to a textbook, but interactive, uh, using ADI's LT platform. I have not used ADI's LT platform yet. I can't be that specific. I'm guessing that you've spoken with a colleague that I've been co-teaching with about interactive, self-directed lessons. You know, and that's been another kind of positive thing, I guess, that grew out of this pandemic experience where we started, we've... We've been creating online lessons actually built in a upper level medical physiology course that I'm teaching built around D. Silverthorne's textbook where we, where we structure every week's lesson using a self-regulated learning, mo- self-regulated learning model where we try to engage the students first 
with something about that topic relevant to their, you know, to their prior knowledge, to their experience, to real life, and then use that as transition into learning the material. You know, that's where we, you know, that's where something might be more text-based, whether it be a OpenStax book or, you know, working through the assigned textbook, you know, with guided questions and things like that and prompts to study diagrams or to make tables or draw things and things like that. And then take them from that learn stage to an application stage where they take this information that they've just learned and then try to apply it to something new. This is where we would introduce a case study or perhaps a, a figure from a research article or something like that, something they haven't seen before that they're going to have to digest and chew on, and then kind of close the circle to bring them back to everyday life and real life and their own personal experiences. We end with a reflection section where, where we ask them to take this experience and how has their view changed? How has their understanding changed? How do they feel about some topic? I wrote one about in the one on mechanics of, of, of breathing, I wrote a case study based on the experience of a friend of mine who was a emergency department technician who helped treat and sadly witnessed uh, the death of a college student from alcohol poisoning. And, you know, so they were in the apply section, they, you know, we we're talking about the effects of alcohol and the rate of breathing and what that would do, you know, to blood chemistry and things like this. And we could talk about acidosis and hypercapnia and all these cool things. But then we brought it back to alcohol poisoning and what can you do to prevent it if you were ever in this situation where you saw someone in distress, you know, and it was, you know, a really cool circle to close. So that's the approach that we've been taking, trying to develop interact, self-guided interactive lessons. We've not done used that model for Biology 240 currently this, this semester that course was taught more as a synchronous online lecture, but it is an approach that we're using in a number of our courses that we're really enjoying. And so far, the feedback from the students has been pretty good. Sorry, that was a very long that's answer. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's all right. John, this question, this last question says, thank you for sharing, first of all. And then her question slash comment is, I have had the same difficulty of the negative perception of students in general towards plant biology slash physiology. Yeah. They view it as not interesting or irrelevant. How do you address this difficulty? In a nutshell, that's why we went to this integrated approach. And what we see on the course evaluations is much of that resistance has gone away. You know, among the various teaching and learning theories, there's various ideas about what motivates students. And in one, in one model of student motivation, they focus on two things, that the students find the information useful and that they also find the information, yeah, th yeah they find them information useful and relevant to themselves, and that they believe they can be successful in learning this thing. And I feel that by taking this integrated approach that, you know, where we talk about the role of a positive pressure, albeit turgor pressure, hydrostatic pressure, in moving fluid through a tube to nourish an organism, we're helping the students see that utility you know, that relevance and how, and how learning the plant parts help you understand the animal parts better and vice versa, and hopefully give the students a better understanding of biology as a whole. Yeah, that was, 
that was our whole motivation for doing this. And so far, it seems to be working pretty well. You know, none of the pre-meds are deciding to become, you know, plant biologists. It's not that successful. But that level of resistance, you know, or that rolling of the eyes that we would see sometimes about plant biology, you know, this seems to have helped that quite a bit. hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune in to future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work, offer tips, tricks, and best practices, but most of all, share science. Don't forget to subscribe.